Uh, so glad you can be a part of this today, whether you're in Pontotoc, Mississippi, or Linden, or Fenton, or uh, where else are we? Grand Blank, or listening on the radio, on the internet, in New York, or Florida, wherever you are. So glad you've taken this time to be here. Now, those who are in Fenton may recognize, hey, wait a minute, this is different. Why is Pastor Jim on the video screen? And everybody in Linden and everywhere else is saying, that's all we ever get him at. So, but this is why I am currently away enjoying some time with my family in Galveston Island, Texas. And so thank you so much for your prayers for us as we're resting, making memories with our kids, with our grandkids. And speaking of our kids, didn't Pastor Josh do an awesome job last week? Let's, uh, let's just kind of show our appreciation for that right now, wherever you are. I know he's listening right now. So thanks, Pastor Josh. God bless you. That was a wonderful word. And, and at the beginning of 2023, we came together and said, what's God putting on your heart as individuals in this teaching team concept that we're, we're really trying to, to exercise and get in the rhythm of? First thing that came out of Pastor Josh's mouth was prayer. I, he said, I feel um, that God is teaching me how to pray. Now, there's things that make a father excited, right? Hey, I've met the right girl. Hey, we're going to have a, a baby. You're going to be a grandfather. But when a young man, when your son comes to you and says, God is teaching me about prayer, there are a few, few better things that you can hear. So thanks, son, for sharing that last week. Thanks for inspiring us and teaching us. And today we're going to take it a step farther in part two of this, this thought on prayer. And I want to start with a story. I, it was years ago. Uh, we were in Denver, Colorado. Josh, JD, a bunch of kids were involved in a, a youth band that went to a national fine arts competition through the Assemblies of God at General Council. It was wonderful. But we, we had this free day. And in that free day, I said, I, I want to listen to John Denver. I want to go see the Rocky Mountain High. I want to drive up into Estes Park. And so we went up there, and as we came up into the, uh, the Estes Park area, it was strange. It was kind of off-season, and it was lightly snowing. It was kind of cold and rainy, and, like, things were closed. So I was surprised by that because I'd come all this way to see this. But I guess snow was coming, and they, they called the day off. So, um, but I, I saw something off to the left that caught my attention. It was a herd uh, of two things inside of this large fenced in area and think of like cattle fence not like chain link fence but tall cattle fencing that's movable and so forth when you change pasture you change the fencing in this huge movable pasture there was a bunch of cows off the one side of the pasture uh, in the fenced area on the other side there was a bunch of huge elk bull elk just six by six just and, and I'd never seen an elk before I'd seen them on hunting I thought an elk was kind of a big deer um, they are not. If a moose and a whitetail had a baby, <laughs> this, that's what an elk is. They're massive. They're, their horns are just like massive and they're, they're super tall and super huge. And I just, I had to go get a closer look. They're inside this pen. I'm gonna go take a closer look. So I, I leave my family in the car. I grabbed my little digital camera before cell phones, you know what I mean, that had cameras on them. And I, I had to navigate about 60 yards down this muddy hill, you know, that the gate was closed, no trespassing signs, but I want to see an elk. Don't judge me. I'm doing the best I can. And, and I'm walking down this muddy hill navigating. I get down to the bottom of it, and I got maybe another 40 yards. So for the next 10 years, I'll look at my camera. I'm getting things out. I, I'm the, the cows are now kind of on my right as I'm passing them. I'm getting closer now to the elk that are inside this pen. And as I look up, I realize, you, you realize already with me, don't you, beforehand? <laughs> They're not in the pen. These are wild elk. The reason all the cows are up against one side of, of the penned area is because the elk have come and they're eating all their feed. These are wild elk and they are massive and they have spears off their head. And I'm now within 25, 30 yards of them and I have their full attention. Only now do I realize I've approached them all wrong. 
And, and I tell you that story, uh, one is that you'll pray for me because I'm on vacation again and I'll probably try to catch a shark with my bare hands or something. But, but the second reason is because I wonder sometimes if we're not in error from the very beginning of prayer and how we approach God. I was in error when I approached those elk that way. And I think we can be in error as we approach God. We, we can approach him in a manner that, that almost, almost negates any prayer we're about to pray. And I'll justify that in a minute. But how we come to God, what our motivations are, what we're thinking, what we believe about him, what, what we know him to believe about us can, can drastically alter our prayer life. I know we all want to pray more. I know we all want better quality prayer life. Let's just start where we start. What, what, how do we approach God in prayer? Um, I, I think some of us approach God this way. You might recognize this. If you do, repent. It's a slot machine. Um, they say, I know what that is. And hey, you just won. You got all excited. You need to repent of that. But it's a slot machine. It's a machine. Uh, if you're listening on the radio, there's a picture right now of a slot machine. <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's all winning, all sevens, right? But this is what a slot machine is. You approach it as a mechanical exchange where you put in your thing, you pull the lever, stuff spins around, and it tells you whether or not you've won or you've lost your quarter. Uh, and, and I think a lot of times we approach God in the same way. I'm going to come to you with my prayer. I'm going to come to you with my time. I'm going to come to you with you know, my song, my whatever. I'm going to put in my thing. I'm not sure what I'm expecting out of this exchange. I, I, I hope... I hope something happens. I hope this is a winner. I hope my prayer is answered. I hope the person's healed or I get that promotion at work or, you know, my marriage is, is the wounds are gone. Or I, I hope, but I, I, I know I'm just supposed to put this quarter in, pull the lever and see what happens. But I only put something in. Hear me. It's mechanical. It's not relational. So already there's a huge problem. But I, I'm only going to put something in because I hope something is going to come out. Does that make sense? I, if I don't get what I want out of it, a sense of me will feel robbed. And if I do get something out of it, there'll be a sense of me that feels blessed. Can I tell you, neither one is true. When you pray and you pull on that handle called faith, <laughs> God, do this thing I'm asking you to do, and, and, and the, the wheels spin around and he says, yes, no, or wait. Um, you, if you don't get something out of it, you haven't been robbed. And if you do get something out of it, there's a good chance you haven't been blessed. Because you approach the whole thing wrong. Um, if we approach God and say, I don't care uh, about the machine, I, I care about what comes out of it, then we are approaching God all wrong. I don't care about God, I care about what God can do for me. Just write this one down. It's just a quick power thought for you. But the difference between witchcraft and prayer is relationship and whose will we want done. The difference between witchcraft, manipulating the spiritual realm for my own personal benefit, prayer aligning um, heaven's priorities with earth's priorities. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm not saying that if you're praying incorrectly, you're doing witchcraft. I am simply saying this, though. Be mindful of how you approach this beautiful, incredible opportunity, this encounter with the Almighty One. Do not approach him as if he's a, a cow in a stall or an elk that's just going to gore you, but, but approach him in, in a way we're going to learn about in just a moment. The second thing we talk about this is, you know, we got the slot machine. What about this one? And recognize this. It's a vending machine. There's, a, there's gumballs, and a kid puts a quarter in, and he spins the wheel, and he's hoping for a blue one. But if a white one comes or a red one comes or a green one comes, you know, that's okay. But I, I, I just know that when I put my quarter in and I spin the wheel, I expect something to come out of this. Well, what's the problem? Again, it's mechanical. It's not relational. 
I, I put this in and I did my thing. Now, come on. I, I pulled the handle. I twisted the knob. You're supposed to do what you do. I do what I do and the machine does what it does or it's broken or I've been robbed. Now, please hear me because if we don't understand this as a fundamental of, of, of approaching God, I can't tell you the number of times I talk to people who are struggling with their faith in God and the reason is because of this. I, I prayed that this wouldn't happen and it did. I prayed this uh, would happen and it didn't. I, I prayed. I was clear with God. I told him. I dedicated time. I said things. I quoted scripture to him and then the opposite of what I asked for came. What's the problem? The, the problem is God is not a, a slot machine. And he's not a vending machine. He's something else that we'll get to in just a moment. And, and understanding from the very beginning that approaching God with this thought, if I don't care about the machine, I care about what comes out of it, is, is a fundamental flaw. If you're deconstructing your faith right now, maybe you're just switching through the radio dial or maybe someone sent this to you, but you're really struggling with your faith. I bet you you're not struggling with your faith because of what God did that you told him to do. I bet you're struggling with your faith for a variety of reasons, what the church did or didn't do, how you've been treated or weren't treated, love, weren't love, political, social stands that you conflict with or can't, can't reconcile scripturally with. But I'll bet you one of the key issues is this. I feel like God's not answering my prayers. And if God is not going to be real when I ask him to, when I put my quarter in and I spin the dial, I don't mind if I get a, a white gumball when I want a blue one, but nothing came out and I feel robbed by that. Then you're approaching God wrong. I just... Matter of fact, just help me out right now. Just say amen. Come on. I can hear it. Just say amen again. Just say amen. I, you're, if you're approaching God wrong, you will not get out of a mechanical exchange called prayer what God intended to be highly relational, extraordinarily beautiful, perfectly personal. And uh, you, just can't, you just can't get there from, from here. So a third way we'd approach him is maybe this thought of a, of a jukebox. You know, again, I, I, put, I put my quarter in, I pressed a certain song that creates a certain outcome, a certain mood. I remember when I was a kid in, uh, over on M59 in Highland, there was a, uh, a flame restaurant. We had one in Fenton for a while. If you're not from the area, you wouldn't know this, but they had jukeboxes at every table. There's a booth and there's a jukebox. And I remember asking for a dime or a quarter, a nickel. You got a certain number of songs for a quarter, a certain number of songs for a nickel. And I would choose, you know, and I'd, I'd put in Journey or Foreigner. My parents would put in Frank Sinatra or Barry. Manilow and, and all this stuff and, and they would want to listen to that music but every time that song came on it created a mood it created an atmosphere because that song brought back a memory or invoked an emotion and, and again what are we doing we're coming to God saying I want you to do this for me I'm putting in my time I'm putting in what is valuable to me I'm putting in my quarter and I'm pressing buttons and I expect I expect a certain return I put what's valuable into this and I want what happens next to make me feel a certain way, and I get to choose the feeling for which I'm now compensating you through my prayers. Now hear me. Again, what is the problem? When you don't care about the machine, all you care about is what comes out of it, we have approached God wrongly. I hope you're getting this. If you're getting this, nod your head. I'm getting this. this we are not approaching God to manipulate him. We are not even coming to God to inform him. We're not just coming to God to invoke him. We're coming to him because he is the source 
of life because he has the answers, because he is the answer. It, it is highly relational. It is not institutional. It is not mechanical. So what's the right way? Let's, en enough of the machines. What's the right way to approach God? As we approach him, how, how do we start this? Number one thing is this, highly relational. We approach him as our heavenly father. I hope you get this, and I hope it's resonating in your heart like it's resonating in mine. Coming to my heavenly father. Now, your, your old man may have been a great disappointment. And I know that every father, I am one, we disappoint our children, we frustrate them. There's no such thing on this earth as a perfect father. But as you imagine what a perfect father might be, multiply that by infinity. And that is your heavenly father. No fault. Disciplines only when it's best for us. Always knows the right thing to say and do. So when, when Jesus is teaching us to pray, and he begins with the thought of, of a paternal deity, Father God. He's talking of, there's so much, it's such a rich word, right? The, the word at its best, Father, is such a rich word. It means time. It means relationship. It, it means conversation. It means exchange of affections. It means listening. And, and it even means laughing. Um, it, it would be hard to explain. And if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But I have inside jokes that only God and I would get because of the times we spent in prayer. I, I'll tell you a quick story, don't judge me, but this is true. I used to have about 10 to 12 hours a night as a security guard at a huge church facility in Phoenix, Arizona. I was the only person on the campus for a good five to eight hours of those hours every night. I had the whole place myself, 6,000 seat auditorium, $30,000 grand piano, uh, grounds that were manicured and fountains, and I would walk those grounds, part of my job. But I imagine me being alone for that many hours and not talking to somebody. So that was kind of the crucible in which my prayer life was formed. It was very conversational. I remember I just felt so close to God one night, and I, I was just loving on him. I felt him loving on me. And I remember thinking how good it's going to be to go to heaven. And this sounds stupid, but I started jumping up and down in the parking lot, and I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, rapture practice, <laughs> rapture practice. Now, now, that, that may mean nothing to you. It may, it may make you question my sanity. But that's, that's a moment, a prayerful moment between a father and a son that maybe only he and I would get. But it came out of prayer. That, that's what I mean. Approaching God in prayer is about having inside jokes and open hearts and transparent, no fig leaf conversations with the one who knows you anyway. Underneath the fig leaf, he knows what's there. It's approaching him as a heavenly father. I remember we were naming the church uh, it was Fenton Assembly of God. And then we changed the church's name to the Freedom Center. Well, the story behind that was, you know, we want something that, that doesn't turn people off when they hear it. So I wanted the word family in it. There's a debate. Well, a lot of trouble in families today. If you put, you know, family worship center, maybe people go, my family's messed up. I wouldn't be welcome there. So in the end, we just tried to find a series of words that people couldn't have a problem with. And that's how we came up with the name, the Freedom Center, now known as Freedom Center Church. But this was six weeks or more of debate and conversation and prayer and, and seeking God. It's like we were trying to write a song or something for this deep meaning, this name. We're going to name the church. And so we, I got the Freedom Center, TFC. I walk out in the woods to talk to the, my Heavenly Father. God, is this the name? I lay it before you. Is this the name? And I'm, this may sound strange to you again, depending on where you're coming from. But I remember God clearly saying to me, Jim, I don't care what you call it. <laughs> It's, I, I'm not going to work through what you call it. I'm going to work through what I call it. So whatever makes you happy, go ahead and do it. I remember laughing, standing in the woods, laughing 
And again, that's an inside joke. That's, that's something that God and I share. I, I went through all this. And God, is, I lay it before you. Is this the name? And God's like, <laughs> I don't care. And, and in those times, isn't it funny how we, we get to know each other? I get to know God. He gets to know me. That's prayer, approaching God, right, properly as Father. Matthew chapter 6, the disciples are saying, Jesus, when you pray, like, blind eyes open and demons flee and loaves multiply, could you, like, we pray and stuff doesn't happen. Could you, could you teach us how to pray? Because, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Here we go. First things first. Our Father in heaven, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father. So Jesus starts with relationship. And I love the next line. Hallowed be your name. Now, we don't. We're going to use that phrase, Hollywood. So let me give you the King Jim translation of that. It's our Father in heaven. Wow. Wow. Jesus teaches us to pray. Okay, start with this. Who he is and wow. If you can, if you can approach God relationally, not, not mechanically, relationally, and begin your prayer with wow. remember standing by the side of the Grand Canyon for the first time, seeing that mile deep gorge, 13 miles across, whatever it is, Colorado River, just a trickle way down there somewhere. I, I remember just going, wow. I remember seeing Niagara Falls as a child and watching all that water go over the, the falls just going, wow. I remember seeing the jungles that I've been to and just the triple canopy jungles just going, wow. Let me tell you something. The God who created all those wows is a capital W-O-W. I'll say it backwards. Wow. I'll say it upside down. Mom. I mean, God, God makes everything so incredible, but he is the incredible one. It's because the Grand Canyon was carved patiently from drops of water dropped from heaven by God. Niagara Falls, it's, it's, wow, the jungles, the deserts, wow, listen to me. When we approach God, first of all, by saying, we have a relationship that you have established by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. My Father, our Father in heaven, wow, you've really begun something. You, you've approached God properly. This is then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, Jesus is teaching us to start from a relationship, not from what we get. He's starting, starting with his preeminence, starting with the Father's beauty and glory and wowness. I made up that word, but you know what it means. The wowness of God. What am I I'm already getting something out of it, but I'm, this isn't an exchange. This is a relationship. Jesus loves the Father. The Father loves Jesus. And Jesus teaching his disciples, us, them, then, now, he's teaching us that we are loved and that we are to love. He wants this for us. He doesn't want anything from us. He wants something for us, that we would walk into the presence of God. We'd approach him by saying, Father, wow, wow. Look at Jesus' prayer habits. We, we get this from several portions of the gospel, but look at this. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Now, one of those days, this, he didn't go out late at night and spent two hours and then came back. He went out to pray, and then day turned into evening, evening turned into night, night turned into morning, and Jesus was still praying. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says, But Jesus often... This didn't happen once. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Why? To pray. He went off by himself, but he was not by himself. Please get this. He wandered away from others so he could clearly be without distraction, without other voices, without other temptations, without other, you know, stimuli. He just wanted to be alone with his father. 
Um, Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, after Jesus had dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So here's the thought, like, why is Jesus spending so many hours? We've got mornings, we've got days, we've got evenings, we've got all nights. Why, why is he spending wholeness? Why is he, why is he doing this in prayer? And, and maybe a better question or an equal question is why should we? What does he know about prayer that's eluding us about prayer? Because we don't pray like he prays. The disciples said, we don't pray like you pray. How do we pray like you? Jesus begins to teach our Father, wow. Let's take it just a step farther. Why, why, why did Jesus spend all this time in prayer? Number one reason is this. I know we just took a long time to get to number one, but here it is, number one. Number one is this, because his life, Jesus' life, was a father-son project. It was not a son project. It was not a father project. It was a father-son project. Ladies, maybe it's a, it's a daddy-daughter dance. It's, it's not just you by yourself. It's not just daddy by himself. It's, it's, it's the two of you together. I, I know daddy-daughter dances aren't, I, don't, I have sons, so what do I know? But I love that beautiful moment at a wedding where the father dances with his daughter, the, the kind of honors each other. And it's just, there's a room full of people, but if you ever watch, it's just the two of them. They don't, they don't look at anybody else, they look at each other. What if, what if life, right, for Jesus is nothing more than a father-son project? What if life is nothing more than that dance we look into each other's eyes and we know we, we, we feel foolish out here by ourselves. We couldn't do it by ourselves, but together we can. It was 100% relational. He says this, Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 30. By myself, I can do nothing. By myself, I can do nothing. goes on a little bit further. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus is saying, in effect, my whole life is, is a father-son project. Why do I spend so much time in prayer? Because he's my father and I'm his son. And this whole thing is a father-son project. John chapter 15, Jesus goes into the teaching about the vine and the branches. Jesus says, I'm, I'm the branch, you're the vines. But the fruit doesn't come off the vine, it comes off the branches. The grapes don't grow on the vine. That's where all the sap goes. But it goes off into the branches. And Jesus is, is making this, this point that fruit doesn't come from me and fruit doesn't come from you. Fruit comes from us. And I, I need to say that again. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus in John chapter 15, the vine and the branches, he's not saying fruit comes from me. Yes, it's impossible without him, but it's also impossible without you. So prayer, what does prayer do? It keeps us joined to the vine because fruit doesn't come from Jesus and fruit doesn't come from you. It comes from you and Jesus. So this, this thought of prayer, approaching God in prayer, coming to the Father saying, I need you, I love you, I want you. Father in heaven, Wow, is the beginning of that staying connected because fruit is not just what Jesus does or just what you do. It's what only you and Jesus can do together. Yes, we do things for God. Yes, God does things for us. But we were created to find our greatest joy, our greatest fruit when we do things together. Second reason I think Jesus is spending all this time in prayer and his prayers are accomplishing so much more than, than our, you know, our, our uh, mechanical approaches to God is because you become like the ones or even the one that you spend the most time with. That, that understanding that Jesus was going to walk in a filthy, demonic, violent, corrupt world. Um, and he didn't want to become that. 
And you say, well, no, you can't. No, no, listen, bad company, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, corrupts good character. Jesus is just as susceptible to temptation. He's tempted in every way we're tempted, yet without sin. You say, well, it's because he's divine. He surrendered divinity and approached everything as a man. We, we learned this again from, from the writings of Paul, that he, he, he didn't renounce it. He just set it aside so that he could, he could face everything the way we face it. He had to be tempted just like we're tempted. So he's walking and there's prostitutes and there's thieves and there's tax collectors and there's groups that hate each other. and They're all trying to get him on his side. They're all attacking him. So why is Jesus spending so much time in prayer? It's because you become like those you spend the most time with. Um, I am a lot more like my wife, Dina, today than I was the day we got married. Dina is a lot more like me today than the day we got married. Why? Because we spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. And so the, the two have and will continue to become one. We can finish each other's sentences. Do you have misunderstandings? Absolutely. We're, we're married. What fun would marriage be without the occasional argument to resolve? You got to make up. I'm just saying. That's, just write that down too. But sorry, babe. The, but the thought is, the thought is just simply this. Like, like, I'm a lot more like her. She's a lot more like me. Why? Because of the significant investment of time. So if you think about some of the phrases you hear in scripture, like the fruit of the spirit, well, where does, that, where does the fruit come from? The spirit. The, the joy of the Lord, we want the joy. Well, where's the joy come from? The Lord. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. Where does that come from? It comes from the comforter known as the Holy Spirit. The strength of God, the strength of our God. Where does that come from? It comes from God. We become like, like those who we spend time with. You know, we've heard a lot of messages through the years, and I love it. I think it's very true, very applicable. But you show me your five best friends, and I'll show you your future. Uh, Pastor J.D. the other day said, show me your search history and I'll show you your future. Uh, I, I think those are relevant statements, right? We become like the environments in which we exist. We, we soak it in a little bit. Uh, we, we breathe it out a little bit. We, they become like us. We become like them. So Jesus, knowing this, man, he puts T-I-M-E in with God. Why? Because when he had time with the world, he wanted it to be an influence on them. He wanted to be light. He wanted to be salt. He wanted to bring the cure. He didn't want to be a part of the disease. And the same thing is true of us. Why, why should we approach God with this wow? What will come out of it? It's not, not a mechanical exchange, but we'll become like him. And who doesn't want to become more like God? Who doesn't want to have more love and more patience and more power, more kindness, more insight, more wisdom? Being able to help people at a higher level versus hurting them at a lower level. We all want this. Where does it come from? It comes from God. Last thought is this. Uh, why did Jesus spend so much time approaching God and being with him in prayer? Third reason is this, because he was more at home in prayer than he was anywhere else. When Jesus walked into the wilderness, solitary, lonely, mountainside places, it was like, it was like Norm walking into cheers. And if you're too young to get that, it was like Ross and Rachel walking into the coffee shop. You're too young to get that. It's like <laughs> Beavis and Butthead walking into the school. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's like, it's like uh, I don't know, Jim walking into the office. Like there, There's a place where you just belong. It's, it's Fonzie at Arnold's Drive-In. Is that way too far uh, back? I, just help. I, these are the illustrations I have. Work with me. Um, but it, it's, there's a place where you feel at home where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came, right? There's a, when Jesus came into prayer, came into his Father's presence, he was where he'd spent eternity before taking on flesh. He was where he was going to spend eternity after dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. He was home. He was safe. 
the one place that never changed, the one place that was always glad to see him, the one place that, that he came from and would soon return to. So maybe a better question than why did Jesus spend so much time in prayer is, is why in the world wouldn't he? If this is the place where he gets to be with and like his father, if this is the place where heaven's qualities are exchanged, if this is the place where he's always welcomed, always loved, always cared for, always home, if this is the place that, that initiates that mission, that co-mission of a father-son life, why wouldn't he spend entire nights in prayer? And why wouldn't we, if we approach God, if we understand this? Listen, I, I want you to hear me. God wants to teach you all kinds of wonderful things. Where? In prayer. God, God is waiting for you so that he can teach you wonderful things in prayer. God is waiting for you so that you can have inside jokes, rapture practices, and significant moments where only you and him would get it. He's your father. Yes, there will be inside jokes. Yes, there will be truths that only the two of you get. Um, God, God wants to comfort you after the hell you've been through. You don't think God wants to be the one that comes around you and holds you and listens to you? Read the Psalms, guys. It's, it's just David pouring out a broken heart and God's arms wrapping around him. It all starts, I mean, so many of the Psalms start with despair and death and injustice, but they end with this rest that comes from David having spent that significant time writing that psalm and the presence of God brings such comfort to him that by the time the psalm's done, he's not talking about his problems and how big they are. He's talking about his God and how big his God is compared to his problems. That's, God has that for you. God is waiting for you with that comfort in prayer. God wants to reveal himself to you. He's waiting so that you can learn how strong he is, how wise he is, how noble he is, how patient he is. Running from God is running from everything you were created to be and do. God's waiting for you to reveal himself to you. God, God wants to heal your heart. God wants to hear your prayers. Because God wants you. I said at the beginning of this that I'm, I'm on vacation now with my family. So why, why my family? Why not just my wife? Why my sons? Why my daughter-in-laws? Why my grandchildren? Because I just want to spend time. I have no real agenda. I know we'll eat meals. I know as we're watching this, we probably had breakfast and, you know, the kids are doing whatever. If you're watching, hi, Hollis. Hi, Francine. Hi, guys. I love you. You know what I mean? But, I, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's not, about, it's not about the breakfast. It's not about the appointment. It's not about seeing this or doing that. We're going away because we're a family. And we value more than the dollars, more than the hours, the time we get to spend together. And I, I hope you're getting this. God is family to you. He's heavenly father. And you can begin your approach with, wow, I knew that or I didn't know that. Wow, I want you. Wow, yes, I, I, I want to spend time. When you come to God wanting more than, than him, um, when you come to God wanting nothing more than him, you begin to experience him. You come to a slot machine, put in your quarter, pull the lever, take your chances. Go to your vending machine, put in the quarter, take your chances. Go, go to a, 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 a jukebox and put in your quarter and choose your songs. But you will acknowledge in this moment how empty that can feel, how disconnected. Why is that? Because you're approaching God wrong. So how are we going to approach him? Our Father in heaven. Wow. The whole thing is a father-son project my whole life.
Everything I put my hand to today and every day, it's a father-son project. Wow, it's a daddy-daughter dance. It's a, it's a moment that never has to end. Yes, we have to go to work, but I can't wait to come back to the wow. I want to take the wow with me when I work. I want to take the wow with me. I don't want the dance. I don't want the, the tree fort. I don't want the project. I want to continue to walk with my heavenly father in the sense of awe. And I, I want to come back again and again and again and again. He said, Jim, I, I pray and it seems like, you know, I pray for two minutes. I'm distracted. I, I, okay. And you think God's mad at you? Let me tell you what that is. When you pray for two minutes and all of a sudden you realize you're not praying anymore, it's a beautiful opportunity to repent and come back again and come back again and come back again and come back again. And my, my thought is this, that when the time comes when you, when you just can't wait to come back again, you will, you will begin this new life of prayer. And I'll say this to you. What if your whole life, what if your whole life is nothing more than a father-son project? You get to co-mission with Christ. Go find him. What if, what if the whole thing is a daddy-daughter dance and the whole world is watching the beauty of this moment of your life unfolding as you dance with your heavenly father? Our father in heaven. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So as we end our time together here, um, the services will be turned over. The station will go on to the next show. The whatever. Just let, let me say this to you. I, I challenge you to, to drop, not get, get rid of the mechanical, get rid of the list. Get rid, I don't mean that, but I mean this. If you, if you start with what you're about to get out of it, you're starting wrong. How about, how about we end today's service by simply just being with him and just enjoying his presence? And you can ask him for anything, but you'll never get anything greater from him than him. And he wants nothing greater from you than you. Father, I pray as this time and these times go to a time to respond, I ask you, God, to meet us in this place with the same awe you, see, you feel when you see the Grand Canyon for the first time or Niagara Falls or the deserts or the jungles or the Rocky Mountains. Or God, I pray that we would never again approach you with a transactional mechanical mindset, how to get something from you. We'll never get anything greater from you than you. And we ask you to never ask for anything greater from us than just us. Build this now, our Father in heaven. Wow.